My name is Matt Brown. Out there warm- it was extremely personal. We go out there warm up. You got the head coach for the other team trying to stand in the middle of the buff. Like, it's okay if, if like, a couple players do it. It's fine, you know. Like, to just enjoy the scenery. But when you got the whole team trying to disrespect it, then I'm not, you know, I'm not going for that at all. So I went in there and disrupted it. So they knew off rip. Like, nah, this, the Buffaloes mean, mean a lot to me. And let's start the show. Everybody, the world is a better place because you're here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. Though we saw a lot of top 25 teams be dominant, we did see a lot of close games as well, including one very interesting Texas and Alabama game that might have some implications toward the college football playoff very interesting stuff to get into there colorado wins again maybe the u is here to stay maybe florida state's worth looking into we'll go through that coast to coast talking all things college football very very shortly but before we do and get into week two of the college football season i just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the productive conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and youtube and don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show across all social media platforms we're on instagram at productive conversations podcast twitter and x at prod pod we're on tiktok and facebook at productive conversations so focusing on week two today i want to really hit on this and we will refer to them a lot this college football season the great college football class of 2024 they are pretty much the people in that class who we expect to be high draft picks in the nfl draft they win him Michael Pennick Jr. goes him. My Heisman Trophy winner Sam Hartman from Notre Dame plays a stellar game against NC State. Bo Nix had a good game. Drake May kind of had a good game. No touchdowns, but plenty of yards. But regardless, the great quarterback class of 2024 has to be very much looked upon. And... We will talk about the first two weeks with them. We'll talk SEC struggles and is the U a legitimate program again? Maybe watch out for Florida State. Um, who is being? Who seems really disappointing? A lot of good stuff to talk about. Alex Renelia was with us, so let us talk about the big headlines regarding the world of college football for week two. Oh, and Colorado wins again. So let's talk about all of this and more with the great Alex Renelia. Let's get into it. College football week two and we'll make picks for week three as well so let's do it gentlemen let's do it ladies let's do it everybody and let's talk about the world of college football Alex Ranelio it's your turn once again here we go Matt from Norwalk uh let's see Matt Brown wants to know this is a very productive conversation Two weeks down in the world of college football. And though I don't have any big headlines to talk about, it was still interesting. A lot of FBS and FCS teams went at it. And um, we basically saw a lot of skilled players go ham, but we also had some thrilling games as well. So Alex Ronelia was back with us, and we are ready to talk about week two of the NFL season. What's up, Alex? Hey, happy to be back. Let's get back to it. Um, a lot of great games to cover, a lot of action. Uh, back, happy to be back with you. 
as I am with you, definitely missed you last week. And we're good and ready to go here. So let's talk. So probably the highlight game this weekend on ESPN. We had number 11th ranked Texas go down to Tuscaloosa to play number three Alabama. And they won. They win in their house and they mean business. Quinn Ewers particularly has a standout game with over 349 yards and three touchdowns. And we just saw all the weapons being pushed through. We saw possibly a growing program with Texas. Maybe they're going back to form. We know once yours is done, there's a good chance Arch Manning is coming in. But it seems like they're really growing something. And with this win over Alabama, very impressive stuff there. And Alabama goes down. And now they're another team that they might have some more obstacles than they expected when trying to make the college football playoff like an LSU or a Clemson. But focusing on this game in particular, what really impressed you about Texas and Alabama? And also adding to that, do you think Texas is starting to be worthy again, like the Vince Young days and stuff like that? Um, so let, let's start with the first premise. I was very impressed with Texas. Um, I thought that this was going to be a very big spotlight for this team, uh, especially with the, with a young roster and a uh, program that's continually, you know, not quite hitting expectations, you know, year after year, season after season. I think that um, I was really impressed with the demeanor and the poise that viewers and, um, and uh, the, the head coach um, uh, Sark was coming into this game with, because I thought that there was a lot of things that they wanted to do in the home opener with rice that they kind of withheld on in terms of like dialing up um, a, a lot of uh, you know big play action plays and a lot of offensive schemes because they wanted to hold their hand and not um, not show too much of their hand uh, before Alabama in 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 preparation for yeah, for week two. Uh, I was very impressed on that front. I thought they had a great balance of the game in terms of the um, the calls. And, um, you know, he was just hyper-efficient, 349 yards. It was, you know, almost 10 yards just per passing play and no inter- no interceptions. I think the interceptions was the biggest question mark because we knew that he had a rowdy personality. But uh, he hunkered down, he sat in that pocket in the offense, and you saw it in the second half how they were able to break away, particularly in the fourth quarter. Um, I think w- with the second half of your question, I think – it's a little too early to tell where they're going to be returning to glory because I look at the schedule. It's a very cupcake schedule. It's going to be hard, mm-hmm. even if they go undefeated, where they really rank with um, some of the big heavy hitters. So only time will tell. Um, we'll have to see when, you know, Selection Sunday or whatever the equivalent of is for college football is yeah. uh, during, during that process. But I don't think they're going to be tested until K-State, you know, which is like week eight or nine. Uh, so... Um, I think they're going to continue to keep rolling. Um, I don't think we'll see too many, you know, chinks in the armor. I think what, what you will see is you'll see uh, start, start taking more chances as the season goes on um, just to see what he can really, how much juice he can squeeze out of this offense. I hear you, dude. I hear you. And um, this is going to relate to my next segment. We're talking, talking about Bama shortcoming here. And um especially as you said, not looking as dominant in the second half as all. You know, I went on by myself to talk about how I think Jalen Milrow, Mil- Jalen Milrow might be, you know, another 
standout quarterback from Bama in this Nick Saban era, like a two or Jalen Hurts. I compared him to Jalen Hurts and he only threw a couple of picks. He was erratic in the shotgun. Um, he didn't bring back and he was disappointing in uh, as soon as I said that. And now with those concerns and, you know, some other programs getting more steam, like a Florida state, for instance, if they want to make yep. a push, a Penn state who destroyed Delaware this past week, Bama might be in trouble again. And, um, you know, they missed a college football playoff last year already having one loss and they still have the, um, you know, like I said, it's only week two. Any concerns about Alabama uh, moving forward again? And, you know, we said earlier this in our preview, could this be an example of the mighty might be fallen? And could this be a big step for that? Yeah, I, I don't think they're necessarily falling, even if they missed the college play, uh, football playoff this year. But I would say that they've taken definitely a substantial step back in terms of. Yeah, they're, they're 10th. They started 10th today, this week. They're going to be 10th in the nation. Crazy. I don't think I've seen a double digit ranking in like 20 years from Bama, you know, pre oh. pre save. Um, it, it's pretty wild to see. But, you know, I. I, you know, I have cause for pause to really count them out of the picture completely, but I will be, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, highlight the fact that Bill O'Brien's not there anymore. The offense is definitely suspect. You know, you're putting in a 6'2", 220 sophomore, um, it, you know, plugged into this a very sophisticated offense that has a lot of nuance to it that's really, you know, come a long way over the years that Saban has been there, even through all the offensive coordinators that have come through that program. Um, I think it's a lot to learn for a kid like him, and I and I think that the jury's still out on what he can be. But um, you definitely see, you know, him, uh, you know, being a little overwhelmed and a little frustrated in the moment, especially in a big, uh, high-profile game. And throwing two picks doesn't help it. But um, I, I, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I would say. I think that they've definitely taken a regressional step back. I don't think that they're necessarily the 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 the, the cream of the crop, um, at least for the next four or five years. I don't see that to be the case, especially with with the way the NIL is shaking up some of the SEC program. Yeah. Um, uh, but <clears throat> I do think that they'll be a competitive team because they do have uh, a longstanding stable of bell cow backs. They have they're basically a factory for receivers and offensive linemen. And I think that when you get back to the bread and butter, you can always build a program on offensive linemen and anything, you know, between two yards of the ball. So I think that this, pro, uh, this football team is going to be resilient, but I think that this may be a year that they have three or four losses because when I look Ooh. down there, it's just brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. That's the other thing I was going to mention about since the uh, beginning of NIL and recruiting is the wild West out there. And it's all about how deep your pockets are. They don't have the name recognition. And also with the college football playoff expanding, there was a, you know, there's always the, they had that advantage in, you know, the BCS era that, um, that we are, you know, the top school in the nation. Look at all these top tier players we're producing. Look at us bringing home these national championships. And now that anybody could come in and swoop, and as long as you have the money for it, these players don't care. And especially with all this alignment, um, it just shows that, you know, they're really an, an, an example of many other schools that, it's not going to come as easy for them. And, you know, they just have to prove their worth. All they could do is win. And if obviously if you're not bringing the wins, it's going to be much harder. 
And it's a shame too because this league doesn't reward systems. This is definitely uh, Saban's a systems guy, he's a systems manager, and a, and a manipulator, and someone who engineers create systems of football over the years. And you know, NIL is a flashy you know incentive. It doesn't really bring a lot of um, team camaraderie unless you can kind of get guys to team up and sacrifice, kind of like the Fab Five did. Exactly. A lot of people, if you're frustrated and you're mad at the coach for a year, you just go do the transfer portal. Yeah, I think I think you're seeing a lot of the same issues with Calipari and Kentucky as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that's definitely uh, a definitely uh, similar symmetry that's going on between the two uh, college programs. But yeah, it's just um, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And that's kind of part of where my forecast stems with this program going forward. I don't think that they're going to be out of the picture entirely, but as the SEC gets beefier, um, you see a lot more powerhouse programs and the strength of schedule improves. I mean, even with the, the, the ranked opponents they have, they have every ranked opponent at home this year. I mean, that's a blessing that you cannot, <laughs> that you can never reciprocate year after year. I swear to God. Definitely. You know, that's a good, you mentioned the SEC and focusing on this season at the SEC, we've already saw some major programs in that conference fall down already. Uh, LSU lost to Florida State um, to start this season. Florida loses to Utah. We just talked about Bama losing to Texas. You know, Texas is joining the SEC next year. What about the uh, early struggles for the SEC and some of their programs? Um. I, I take it in stride. I think there's a lot of programs that were out of the top 25 during the preseason AP poll. So I don't take too much stock in some of the uh, cannibalism that's going on within the SEC and then furthermore outside of the conference. Um, I definitely saw a lot of um, struggles post-draft with this Florida roster. That was an old roster going into last season. Uh, I feel the same way about um, – I feel the same way about – Sorry, I, I totally blanked right there. No worries. Um, <laughs> trying to get it back. Um, no, I felt the same way about Georgia, but luckily they have that, you know, they have that, that recruitment pipeline still, you know, working. And, you know, you're seeing some of the teams that are kind of on the ascension, like Miami. Um, I think Miami could, could be a budding program that could get back to a return to glory, but it's still going to take time as well. And I do think that, the meat of this bottom of the top 10 is going to be, you know, in the big 10, the big 12, um, at least for the next few years, because that's where a lot of recruiting is still coming from. I mean, yes, you're getting Florida and Georgia recruits, but it's not necessarily a given that they're going to stay within the sec. So, um, you know, you look at Notre Dame and you look at, um, you know, Washington and some of these teams that are outside of, um, the sec, I think that they have a lot to play for, um, that, don't really um, don't really equate to winning in the SEC right now. I get it. I get it. And you mentioned Miami and the U, and they get a win over ranked Texas A&M. Impressed with them? You still you think we have a program growing with there? Obviously, always a powerhouse name in the '80s and the '90s, the 2000s, and they've had been very quiet over the last 20 years. But it seems now, and what helps with these NIL deals, that they have been getting. They have been improving on their recruiting for football. How about the U so far? And uh, look like they're getting ranked again. Yeah, Coach Cristobal was a huge hire um, the year before, uh, the year prior, and I think that you 
you're starting to already see some of his acquisitions, you know, come to fruition. Um, I think though it's a lot less turnaround time to move a program, particularly like Miami with the cachet and the gravitas with location and the rich history. I think a lot of guys, young guys are inspired by that. And I think that they could kind of get back to where they once were. Um, I will say though, that they, um, I think they are a little uh, ahead of schedule. Um, I think that they're going to kind of come back to the middle when we start like really breaking down some of their uh, schedule moving forward. But that comes in time, you know, it's, it's, I really see them as like, you know, a, a fringe top 10 team when you, it comes to the proverbial selection Sunday. And I think that, um, I think moving forward, um, they can really compete in some of these marquee games. And that's all you need. That's how you had start, how it starts. And, um, you know, I think, I think the, the U, especially as the, uh, college football playoff expands, it really, it is a, a crucial year for them this year. So that when it does expand again and, you know, hopefully they rise up the ranks are starting this week at 22, they, um, will have some good promise there. And of course, you know, beating again, another SEC team and be winning these conference games is crucial for them. Absolutely. So a program we're definitely going to be talking a lot about throughout the rest of this season. And I talked about them yesterday, sorry, last week. And they win in their home opener as the University of Colorado. They get a big 36 to 14 win over Nebraska. Matt Rule not looking good in his uh, debut in his uh, first two games for Nebraska, but for Colorado itself, that offense is dominant again. The defense, though defeating Texas A&M, they did give up forty-one points, hold um, Nebraska to fourteen. But uh, especially on offense, and should and um, Shador Sanders, maybe he's making a push to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Looking awesome. Obviously uses his legs effectively, and he has one hell of an arm and a nice dominant win in their home debut. Alex, I wasn't able to talk to you last week about Colorado's um, the beginning of the primetime era, but what do you think so far with what Dion is cooking up over there and them being a huge national story, even for non-college football fans? Well, they are an amazing national story because of, you know, the roster transformation in one year. Oh, yeah. yes. That's <laughs> incense. What was, I think only 14 players from last season when they went one and 11 came back. It was back. like 19 or something. Yeah, something crazy like that. I mean, we've really never seen anything like it. In some ways, this program really is an experiment from the from the bottom up. I mean, they were like, I think, last in all of the, um, the FBS, like Division One power rankings from the last three years combined. Um, so really Dion was kind of coming in with, um, you know, uh, basically an empty slate. I mean, he had control of the program from day one. They handed the keys to him and he had full faith in his son to, to run this offense. And it's amazing because, you know, we, we talk about Shadur Sanders in the bigger context of, you know, where could he land in the pros and where could he land, you know, amongst the, the, the hierarchy of the other quarterbacks across the, the league and across this country. But, he's never played for anybody else. It's kind of unfathomable to think that he's never had another coach in his life. Yeah. Right. Through, <laughs> through the, through Pee Wee and high school and Jackson yeah. state in here. Yep. It's, it's really, it's really wild. It's really remarkable. So there may be some of that, you know, who's kind of shell shock of not, you know, 
not playing outside of, you know, that, that safety zone, that safety net that you have. But at the, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, Deion knows better than anybody that it all starts with, you know, the relationship between a head coach and a quarterback. And it doesn't mm-hmm. change college football. And I think that you're seeing the the fluidity and the and the and the, the beauty and the poise that this offense has in year one. I mean, we've seen year one offenses that have hiccups all throughout the entire first season with a new right. roster. I mean, they look seamless. And it's really like hard to really put quantify and put into terms because we've really never seen anything like it. Now I will say that I think from the outside we see this kind of this this hard shell, this like this poise and this confidence with Dion. But I think that he really does have his uh, his T's crossed and his eyes dotted, and I think that he has his screws internally. I think that he knows what he's doing with this program, and they have a very favorable schedule. I think that it's nothing but the stars when you look at the rest of the Pac-12 moving forward after the dissolution for next year. Yeah, exactly. If this is it for the Pac-12, like I said, only two schools left. Might as well have Colorado be help um, bring some eyeballs over to them and their network. And one thing you also talk about the roster, you know, um, obviously back-to-back games, Sanders goes in. The week before, Travis Hunter plays a dual role on offense and defense and has a hell of a game this week. It was Xavier Weaver with 10 receptions, 170 yards. It just could not be stopped by those defensive backs for Nebraska. I'm, I'm excited to see and more as more of the, um, these games go on to see if all of these offensive skill players get highlighted. It seems they're figuring it out with, um, with them. And it's funny too, from, you know, obviously primetime is, you know, was a Hall of Famer both in college and NFL as a defensive back, yet it seems him and his offensive coordinator, uh, forgive me, I don't know his name at the moment, I can look it up, um, are knowing how to score these points and figuring out with whoever they have on that roster. Sure. Yeah, I, I think he, he he really understands personalities and he really understands how to um, push the right buttons with, with these young men. Um, I think that he's always... As a professional, he's always been um, always in the right position to uh, to galvanize his, his, his troops, um, both on defense and on the offensive side of the ball as well. And you, you look back at, you know, his rise to Jackson State, it's like it's, you know, we, we don't we don't really know how to yet really kind of quantify the HBCUs in the bigger picture. But I do think that you look at some of the quality of the wins on the field. I think that all the meat is there for a winning recipe. When, when you look at how his offense have gelled in years past. And I think that he kind of just implemented that formula. I mean, I, the way he approaches the game, I think he could work with um, almost any offensive coordinator, quite frankly, because he has that relationship with his son. Yeah. His name's Sean Lewis, by the way, he was the Kent state head coach for the last four years. And, I'll make you some noise, but yeah, this is, this is something else. And, um, I think one thing, if you're going, I think, um, Dion and he said it himself, he would never coach the pros. So, um, whether he does go to bigger programs in Colorado or whatever, um, you know, we could be seeing the, the next big college football personality coaching personality. And, um, I don't know. I know. I understand people are getting turned off by it. And it sees it also motivates some of his opponents, but Deion, Prince, Deion Sanders seems to be a rare example of someone who really talks the talks and walks the walk. Are, are you somebody who likes it, or is this a, I, 
turn you I, off? I love anything that, that equates to winning. I mean, yeah. I think there's always there's always going to be these paradigm shifts in terms of what the, the coaches of the day look like. And I think right now you're starting to see, like, the ex-pro, the ex-player that can assimilate and relate to the every player down the 53-man roster. I think it used to be in old days, particularly with college football, where you had the sedentary suit guys smoking the stogie, um, kind of <laughs> around the sidelines, kind of talking from on high. But these guys get into the weeds. They wear their track suits. They get they get dirty in the mud with the pigs, you know. Like they they know how to ball and they know how to relate to every guy down the roster. And I think that especially again bringing this back full circle to the effects of the NIL, um, I think that the, the NIL really lays the groundwork. It, it could be chicken or egg, it could be cause and effect because I think that the NIL really has the power to kind of inspire some of this change um, with the other programs in terms of how they look at hiring. Um, and how they look at yeah. coaching, filling out the coaching. Yeah, and make the make those um, diverse candidates um, give them the opportunity. I think that's the big thing out of Dion, as special, you know, think- is is getting though getting people who've been put, you know, overlooked, yeah. giving those diverse candidates an opportunity now. You're seeing the same uh, success short term already with Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame. I yeah. think that. He's another guy who relates to every man down the roster. And I think that he's kind of low-key making Brian Kelly look foolish today, to be honest with you, because LSU, this is, a, this is a conversation for a later segment, but LSU is definitely uh, flopping like the fish on a beach right now. Yeah. I, <laughs> they really, they, they, you know, they're slipping down. You know, they were able to get a win over Graham State, but um, – that that Florida State loss was horrendous, and yeah. not looking good there. Of course, most of the time FCS schools will destroy an FBS school, or sorry, FBS will destroy an FCS. But um, with LSU, especially, um, they really have some ground to make up, and um, they can't afford another loss if they want to get in that four. Uh, if they want to get in that playoff, I'm very and, nervous. Because- I got to eat my words if they do get a second loss, and that, that's that's critical. Very critical. And, you know, so this week we did see a lot of the big ranked teams, again, play inferior opponents. Georgia won 45-3 over Ball State, and Ohio State to beat Youngston State University by 35-7. Didn't hit the spread, but, again, that's my problem. Penn State destroys at 63-7. The only real upset we saw was Wisconsin fall to Washington State. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, loyal Pac-12 teams. Um, I thought Wisconsin was going to play better. That was an embarrassing loss for them. They can't lose that to them. And they they went on the road. They're supposed to uh, go to their house and sucks to suck. I know. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of um, lopsided wins and losses in the early uh, weeks of the season because teams are starting to uh, they, they they're still feeling their oats. They're still figuring out what their uh, their football identity is. We're still waiting, kind of similar. I, I feel like Nebraska and, and Wisconsin they may be on similar um, timelines for their recoup process, but um, yeah, they got a lot of work to do to return to glory because those used to be two major powerhouses in the oh, big. Yeah. Um, over the over the decades, I mean, I, my my father, my uncle, grew up with powerhouse running games, just hard nosed offensive lines, just real amazing football team. So, 
mighty man has things changed, especially Nebraska. They um yeah. were a powerhouse like the seventies and eighties and mm-hmm. winless right now. <laughs> so again, as we move on, I'm gonna mention here the great quarterback class twenty twenty four. And so we have a lot of potential candidates, assuming they enter the draft, who could be franchise quarterbacks really soon. Again, it's early for everyone. But so far with names like a Caleb Williams, Michael, um, Caleb Williams from USC, Michael Pennett Jr. from Washington, Sam Hartman, who's my pick for the Heisman at Notre Dame, Bo Nix from Oregon, Drake May in uh, North Carolina. So far, so good with them putting up the numbers and putting up the uh, stats that they need to look dominant, especially if they want to impress NFL scouts. You know, nothing concerning yet, except maybe the LSU quarterback. Um, But so far with this draft class, is there anybody who's really stuck in your mind who's impressed you in the first two weeks? Well, uh, truth be told, honestly, all of the guys have uh, really blown me away in, in a variety of ways. Um, I definitely would if if the draft was held today, because we're kind of having two different conversations when we when we really assess these quarterbacks. One on the one hand, we're looking at who is the best amongst these quarterbacks in terms of the Heisman class, and who's like out kicking their performances in the conversation of the the college football arena that we know. And then we're assessing them on a second level and looking at them. Hey. Who can really exceed, you know, really succeed uh, and adapt their game and their body type and their type of passing and their their way their their way to run the offense? How can they be best formatted and structured for the NFL? Um, I think when we talk about that conversation first, I think you have to look no further than Caleb Williams. And I actually really impressed with Michael Penix Jr. I think that yeah, that's body. that's my guy. Yeah, I, I think he's got the body and 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 the poise and the wherewithal. And like a Cam Newton all, type. Yeah, for sure. Just a real sturdy body, but not too – but less Cam in the sense that he's not too uh, full of himself. Um, <laughs> I, they don't – because they don't get a lot of – they don't get a lot of noise up there. Like, we never give any love to tax wall. And yeah, Washington, Washington University. They, though, they, people who know they're the Huskies too. Yeah, I think the last time I ever uh, uttered them out of my mouth was when I was talking about either Nate Robinson or Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz. <laughs> you know who played? Who know? You know who played for them? Technically, Joel McHale from the show Community, the actor. You aware Le- of him? Lavar Ball. <laughs> Is he really? Oh, yeah, Lavar Ball. I've heard that name in a while. The NBA but, definitely shut him up. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I really like Jordan Travis thus far. I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. not not going to count my eggs before they hatch with FSU. I think they'll come back to the mean. Um, I, I think that they're definitely overvalued at number three, especially in the ACC. Really? But yeah, I, I do. I mean, definitely impressive wins, no doubt. But we have to see how the, the season progresses, and they have a, they have a tough road ahead as well. Um, and I like and I like um, what's his face, JJ uh, uh, McCarthy, just in terms of uh, analytical situational analysis for how they run their offense at the college level. And, but I think particularly with Penix and with Caleb Williams, I think there's like a, uh, a real, a real arc beyond that for, for the, for the NFL. It looks like with the, the operations that Lincoln Riley runs in USC, 
that's a really, really complicated offense. A lot of layers, a lot of play action, a lot of screens and, and things set behind the um, set behind the uh, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the offensive line and the, the, the line of scrimmage. That's what I was looking for. Uh, and I think the same goes with Michael Pettis Jr. Um, I think that they're, they're both operating in very difficult uh, offenses. I see them really ascending at the next level. And again, you know, having the right body type, having the intangibles, the leadership, the clarity, wherewithal, those all go without without being said. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what the season brings. Because it's a long season; we're only two weeks in. Um, but those would be my my guys to keep an eye on at the next level. Yeah, I I totally agree with this with you too. Those were the two that really stuck out, especially Pennick Jr. The most. I mean, he just seems like a good dominant force. And as I mentioned to Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, you know, just under the 300 yard mark against at NC State. I was a little disappointing, but um, early dominant wins there. And as the season progresses and hoping that they rise up to the ranks and I picked them as a uh, sneaky team for the college football playoff. They're at nine right now. They're going to play Central Michigan, so they should handily beat them. But um, I think Sam Hartman could be a quarterback-ready player, too. He reminds me of an Andrew Luck type, assuming that, you know, you get to that level. But um, that's going to be something we're going to really um, – pay attention to the college football is this quarterback class and we'll call it the great quarterbacks 2024 and you can you could you could add you could add um Sinead sanders too as well oh yeah yeah depending you know particularly see how the, the rest of the season transpires but the one one point i wanted to make about drake uh drake Nansu because we don't give him any love because they're in the acc mm-hmm. but yes north carolina quarterback they can hang tough with their Clemson game and particularly finishing out the year with NC State. Um, there's no reason that they can't win 10 games this year. And furthermore, if he keeps his um, turnover ratio down, um, I mean, just look, we're looking at these guys. I think that he's like the prototypical pocket conservative quarterback um, that is cool under pressure, but doesn't have that mobility outside the pocket. So there is a yeah, like a Justin Herbert type. Yeah, there's, there's a system for him in the pros or like a Daniel Jones. I think he could fit that prototype, that mold, mm-hmm. but I don't know how well that equipped is adapted for the entire league, that's all. Yeah, and you that's the one thing in the ACC. You only really have Clemson. Well, um, you know, they went down, you know, Clem, you really only have Clemson. You don't really play against as tough of defenses as they could be. That's the one thing you question about. And that's what people were questioned about with Trevor Lawrence. If he comes to the league, well, he played in the ACC. How can he stack? And well, we know how I feel about him and he's had a really great start to his NFL career. Maybe it just shows that, um, some players really step up if they get to that next level and some really are a product of who they were playing in college. Yeah. And some of the guys just have the intangibles, they have the chip on the shoulder and the focus, like or Josh Allen going to Wyoming, like a big Ben going <laughs> to Miami of Ohio. It's like they come out of these no name schools, but they have the right wherewithal to, you know, build and, and work in a bigger franchise. So it, it really just depends on the makeup and what's between the years. So, He'd look at Brock Birdie at Iowa State too. Yeah. Look what yeah. he's doing that. You know what's interesting? I, I saw a stat today, you know, the one F NFL point. So we had the Rams and the 49ers playing at 425. This is the first time in the history of the NFL 
in college football draft system that the that a former number one overall pick, Matt Stafford, he's go you know from Georgia got drafted by the Lions mm-hmm. that year. He's going to put the first is the first time a number one overall a number one overall pick is going up against a Mr. Irrelevant ever. We'll <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah, with Brock Purdy at um the very last pick last uh draft. So crazy. Crazy world. Buddy stuff there. So why don't we go and you know quickly mentioned because it is college football related. We had the Michigan State University coach um Mel Tucker. He was fired due to sexual harass claims. Now he denies the allegations, and um, he claims that the uh, that Michigan State hearing was ridiculously flawed. And I guess it was a weird situation, like a phone sex situation. But um, I do need more research on that. But any any reaction to that with Michigan State and how they've been playing? Um, well, this has been a program that's been in you know a slight decline the last handful of years um i think and football yeah yeah with mark d'antonio prior um i think that you know having this this new coach in place was a promising step in the right direction but you know it, this this university and the broader picture has had you know a, a real repeat history with a lot of issues um internally so it is unfortunate to hear that like that it is continuing but again i i i'm not researched on the topic as well as other people are i would wait to see uh, a lot of the evidence uh, a lot of the evidence you know particularly with um any extenuating circumstances or any kind of um um, um you know any kind of um you know, witness testimonial or any kind yeah. of information that comes to light. You know, I think that like that that stuff is really important to have those proceedings in a, in a, in a timely manner and to have clarity and and, and um, uh, discovery is the word I was looking for. They have really like consolidated discovery about what we're looking at and and um, not you know uh, rush to claim about you know having someone's job on the line and getting fired right away. I think that these things need to play out um, appropriately. Definitely, we'll see ultimately where things go there. And now another thing I like to talk with you particularly is the UConn discussion of the week. UConn <laughs> lost to Georgia State by thirty-five uh, to fourteen. What the hell happened there, Alex? Jim Moore is already in the hot seat. Yeah. Oh, um, I thought UConn was growing, losing no, NC State no, they, and this. We, yeah, they 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 still are growing. Um, it's just um, you know, it's a tough game on the road. Obviously, like no one likes to live, lose to a no-name program like Georgia State. <laughs> but look, you know, man, like they. They started 0-4 0-5 last year and they made a bowl game. So they're they're never out of contention. I don't I don't um I I'm starting to put more faith in 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 uh Jim Moore Jr. as the as the weeks go by, as the year goes by. I want to see what he's made of. I feel like he's made of the right stuff. But I mean <laughs> Tennessee, week ten, I oh, mean man. Ugh, that's gonna be brutal. And uh, you got Duke in, in two weeks as well, and they're ranked. Uh, it's going to be – there's going to be a, some tough games in there. But you, you win – you got to take it week by week, take the games in front of you, and there's a lot of winnable games at home. They take care of business, FIU, Utah State, South Florida. Um, these are winnable games, you know. You just 
you got to got to get back to the bread and butter of this offense, and you know, get some gimmies with the with the defense. You know, create a short short field, and you know, just make make the game easier, make the game work for you. I get it, I get it. That, that should be an interesting game. Duke going to yeah. how do you pronounce it? Reitzler Field. Wrenchler Field. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. And also watch out for James Madison. They got a big win last week. Um, but UConn Huskies football. It's going to be weird in uh, Duke and UConn not playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> they should, that is funny. Oh, well, there. So why don't we do our picks for the week? Now, this is what we're going to do. We'll go through the top 25 ranked games and, you know, go some fire there. So I don't have a spread for you on this. hasn't been released yet, but we have Bethune going up against Miami, ranked 22. No spread yet. That's a Thursday night game. I think it's pretty obvious that Miami's winning this. And I guess the one question with these um, bigger spreads is if they're going to cover them or not, but I don't have a spread for you. But um, if Bethune beats Miami, I'm going to donate $2 million to you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. Okay. Let's go you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, they should take care of business, no problem. Especially in a short week. Um, you know, a team going on the road, that's like that's like a death nail. Um, I expect Miami to win very handily if you have maybe more than two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have Florida State going to Boston College. The spread is 26 points. I do think BCU gets this, especially um, BCU. FSU gets this with BC having a uh, disappointing early season loss. And I think they'll actually cover this spread. Yeah, I think, I think so. Well, I think so, too. Um, Boston College is a tough cookie at home, though. Um, they have a lot of pride up there. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a long history, rich history with their football program. So I think that you know, especially with like ACC bad blood, I think they will hang in there in the first half. And I think Florida State will pull away in the second half the same way they did with LSU. All right. We have Penn State going to Illinois, opening yes. at 14 and a half. What do you think? Um, I rank seventh. Yeah, I, I would. Um, I would take the points for Penn State. I, I think they I think they win by more than 14. Um, I saw this game on Fox, Fox pregame. Um, it looks good on paper, but the more I look at Penn State through the week prior, um, the more I'm impressed, you know, week by week. I, I wasn't a big fan of James Franklin at the original hire, but the way that he's cultivated this program back to their fitted form over the years and after all the bullshit they went through, um, I think that they're going to they're just going to steamroll Illinois. All right. With um, the next matchup, we have LSU ranked 14th. Going up against an undefeated Mississippi State team, LSU is only opening at nine and a half. Oh, I think only oh, yeah. <laughs> They'd be lucky if they come out of this game. If they win this game, this is like really. I, I firmly believe that. I I'm very. I, I'm not. I'm not being defeatist with LSU because I have no stake in LSU and with, and with Brian Kelly. But this is one of those games like. They have to win or their season's over. And furthermore, they have to win it by, like, two touchdowns. Because uh, um, I don't really take Mississippi State seriously in the broader picture, you know, down the line. I know that they're undefeated, but it's week two. Um, <laughs> I, I think that LSU really has to, like, 
they have to put the hammer down this week and show people who's boss coming back. You know, give me Mississippi State on this one that they're going to ran their parade and um, they can end the season at home for LSU. You can only imagine the party they're going to do down there. So I'm going to give Mississippi State with a upset. We have can't outright. What? You going outright with Mississippi State? I'm going outright with Mississippi State. I'm going to see. I'm going to just do my bars, the God impression, (laughs) and just go a blind faith. (laughs) If you know what I mean there. So we have Kansas State at 15 going up against Missouri. Um, both undefeated teams. Kansas State's actually opening at minus three and a half. So actually a competitive game here. Um, give me Kansas State on this one. And what are you thinking, Alex? They're, they're negative three and a half. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Minus three and a half. Yeah, I would take K-State plus the points. I think that they're um, severely undervalued year after year. Um, you see the way they hang tough with the teams in the Big 12 last year. Um, I would definitely take K-State with the points. All right. We have Utah at 12 going up against Weber. No spread on there. I think um, they're going to manhandle them. Utah's got something growing over there. Watch out for them. Yeah, this is gonna, I feel like this is going to be a low-scoring game. Um, you look at their their, their recurring weeks, um, they've had a lot of – they've given up a lot of yards on the ground. I think they gave like 400 total yards to Florida, even though Florida doesn't really have an offense. But furthermore, yeah. I think that when the defense is in the red zone, I think that's where they really shine and they can cause turnovers and disrupt. So I'm looking more like a 20 to twenty to like 9 or 20 to 12 win Utah easily. Interesting. All right. Notre Dame's going to play Central Michigan. Um, Notre Dame's opening at minus 34 and a half. That's a lot of points. Give Notre Dame the win on this one. And I even think they might even pull it off. They could get 40 points on this defense. I think they'll cover. I think this will be more like an LSU Grambling State result, to be honest with you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The University of Georgia is playing up against the Gamecocks. South Carolina is going down there. Georgia's opening at minus 27 and a half. You know, early, and this is part of their early season easy schedule. Give Georgia and the points against the Gamecocks for me. Um, yeah, I'll take Georgia with the points as well, but I think it's going to be really tight. I think it's going to, in terms of the margin, I think that it's going to be somewhere around like a 34-7 because there's a lot of pride with South Carolina, similar with Boston College um, in the context of their matchup this week. I, I think that they're going to hang tough with them in the, in the second half. So it's just a matter of how expedited Georgia's offense is second half coming out of the coming out of the locker room with uh, Kirby Smart. You know, is he going to put the Jets on to get that cover, to cover the spread? I don't know. So I, I would definitely take uh, Georgia, you know, outright, obviously, but I would be a little more reticent with the with the spread. Twenty seven seems to like a lot. Yeah, that's the thing with these big major spreads. That's a lot of points to cover. Uh, you essentially need to score right away. And if you don't, if it's only like seven nothing, you're you're screwed. <laughs> um now, but this one I think Alabama at ten going against the University of South Florida. They're actually going there. The spread is minus 32 points. I think they're going to give no mercy to this uh, South Florida team. Let's be real. Yeah, they're going to roll them. 
Um, this is they're in the same boat as LSU. They have their season on the line, quite frankly, and um, you know they're pissed. They're playing pissed. They are pissed. We have Oregon State going against San Diego State, and um, the spread is minus 24.5. Give me the points for Oregon State here. Another one of the few rare loyal teams to uh, the Pac-12. But um, we, I bet you they're a Mountain West team very soon. Yeah, they've always had like a sneakily uh, really competitive program. Um, I've seen a lot of the games where they play Oregon head-to-head. They always hang tough. Um I, I think that this is one of those outperforming uh, games in the sense that San Diego is basically traveling. I mean, they're basically traveling out of state. That's like the entire West Coast right there, and that's in, in that in that flight pattern. And I think that um, the cold weather and um, just the ill preparedness with that program, I think it's night and day. I think Oregon State rolls. Let's do it. Oklahoma Sooners going up against two, going against Tulsa. Awesome. So we got Oklahoma battles here. Oklahoma opening at 27 and a half. Give me the points for Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that this is a huge test on the road, but um, I like I like where that number is, to be honest with you. I hear you. So we, another one we have, we have... 20th ranked the University of North Carolina. The Tar Heels are going against the Minnesota Gophers at home. Mine is eight. Give me the suit. Give me um, North Carolina on this one. Drake May needs, he was touchdownless in his win against um, last week. So I think you're going to play a little bit harder with a more competitive opponent. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm going to go. Carolina wins, but I'm going to, I don't, I think they're going to have to win outright. They're not going to, they're not going to cover the, the spread. Um, this Minnesota Gophers team is two and zero. um, obviously like they're not world beaters, but they're no slouch. And I think that they're going to bring their heaviest hand with coming into town with North Carolina. I think they're kind of on the outskirts sniffing uh, the top 25. So I think it's going to be a little more competitive than people think. So if you're the little Western Kentucky and you have to go to number six, Ohio State, and your spread is 29 points, do you put up anything against them? That number seems a little low, actually. I was expecting more like a 32, 34 point spread. Um, Undefeated so far. The uh, I wonder what is the Western (laughs) Kentucky? I can't tell what what match. What are they? (laughs) Hilltoppers. Hilltoppers. We're going to be topping hills on Saturday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be running for the damn hills. Uh, <laughs> Ohio State is um, – the reason I expect them to roll is because their window of opportunity right now is to make that push into the top four. So I think they're they're looking at – they have their eyes set on that in terms of these quality wins um, from the selection committee. So I expect – a full force from Ryan Day in that offense. Um, I think that they're going to be right around that 32-point differential margin rank. I think they'll be right around there somewhere. So we have ranked 11, Tennessee going to Florida. Yes. Tennessee's only opening at 6.5. Could be um, the most interesting game of the week. What, yep. are your, what are your thoughts here? Couldn't agree more. I think that, um, you know, Florida, Florida's on the downturn, but they're not counting their season out. And 
Tennessee has a lot to prove, you know, being right on that cusp of the top 10 team. So there's a lot at stake with this, uh, with this game. Um, what, what, what was the spread on this? It's only at six and a half to yeah. Florida. Yeah. This feels, I mean, this, Tennessee, this smells like a one score game. Um, I expect Tennessee to pull it out. Um, I think it'll probably be like around like a 27 to 19 or 27 to 18. I think it's going to be a one, uh, pardon me, 27 to 19 or a 27, 20 game, because I think this comes down to a uh, matter of possessions. All right. I like it. So, the last within game I'll mention here, or two more. One with Michigan, the second to last game until Harbaugh comes back. They he they are going up against Bowling Green. The spread is 40 and a half. I think Michigan wins, but they won't hit the spread. That's a lot. That's a lot of points to cover. 45 and a half for anybody. Yeah, um, especially at home. I mean, they could go one of two ways. They could get complacent with the home crowd and they could let these, you know, these, these visiting teams that are really shitty hang around, or they could go full force and, and run them out of the stadium in Ann Arbor in the first half. So um, I don't feel confident they're going to cover 40 just because I think they'll get complacent and they'll get bored. Um, but they'll have no trouble obviously with, with Bowling Green and um, we'll look forward to welcoming back uh, Harbaugh. <laughs> hear that and the last game we'll talk about today and i and if these ratings are big then yeah Deion sanders is legit this game is on at 10 p.m on the east coast and oh. we have colorado state versus colorado colorado's ranked 18 the spread is 23 points at home what's going to happen here alex 23 at home um oh man that you're going to look at me sideways. I think that's a little high. Um, yeah. I think it's a little high because um, obviously they're riding a ton of momentum, but they're they're still hanging with these teams no matter what hierarchy, what level that they're at. Um, I don't know the rivalry, the, 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 uh, the blood between these two programs um, is obviously a West Coast matchup, but I, I feel like it's going to be a little tighter than that. And I have Colorado going 3-0 at the end of the day, but I don't think they're good enough to cover that spread. All right. I think if they want to keep rising up the ranks, they'll definitely have to hit it. So it'll be very yeah. interesting. But I think that we were able to accomplish a lot today, Alex. Thank you yes. for you know, the great work as always. And um, we'll look ahead to week three, and we'll see you a week from now to talk all about it. All you folks out there, enjoy some football. Let's make it happen. Have a great week. Another great week of talking college football with you, Alex. Great stuff. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show across all social media platforms. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at Exact Prod Convo Pod, and we're on TikTok and Facebook at Productive Conversations. So we're back tomorrow, non-sports show, and we are going to do the questions pod once again, asking some of the deepest questions and the funniest questions on the internet. Some of these questions include, do we give passes to people with dirty cars because everybody does? Is it okay to listen to sad breakup music when somebody breaks up with you? Why does everybody like the song Hey Ya? How come when someone roasts you and you roast them back, you're considered sensitive by certain people? 
Why do some people think we need to be worthy to be in their company? Stuff like that. I promise you there will be a lot of laughs. You will definitely learn something. And we will keep it productive, as the name of the show says. So we will bring that to you tomorrow. Another feel-good Friday show. And you do not want to miss it. So again, I want to thank Alex Trinelio for coming on the show today and doing a lot of great contributions. I want to thank Dolo Ren for what he does behind the scenes. And I want to thank you, the greatest fans and listeners in the world, for always supporting us no matter what. My name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast, and I'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget to check in on your friends and family. All right, see you then. Peace. All she needed was some.